Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. Our guest today on Be Brave at Work is passionate about two things, inspiring leadership and branding, and how the two work together. Brenda Bentz is the founder and president of Brenda Bentz International with offices in both Asia and the U.S., and she helps companies and executives build inspiring leadership brands, whether in person or online and virtually. Brenda is fortunate to have clients that span 30 countries across six continents, clients which include some of the world's largest and most trusted organizations such as 3M, MasterCard, Microsoft, and Sheridan Hotels. As a seasoned certified executive coach, Brenda has coached more than 1,000 executives from dozens of nationalities that span 70 industries, helping them achieve peak performance as leaders. And there is so much more I can go on about Brenda, but I'm going to let her do that herself. Brenda, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. Really wonderful to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for finding time to be a guest on our podcast. And I shared a little bit about your background, and I know there is so much more. And I listeners love to hear from our guests about how they distinguish themselves and interact in the marketplace. So tell us a little bit about you more than what I have said. So my background, Ed, I spent a large part of my early career in big corporations. So I was in part of big corporations, Procter & Gamble, Bristol-Myers Squibb, some of those big, big, big organizations. And I learned from that experience that it was lonely at the top. And so when I decided to leave the corporate world and start my own business, I really wanted to focus on helping leaders know that they don't have to be alone, that there is support out there. I do professional speaking to executives, groups, and I also write books about these topics. So yeah, it's really living the life that I love to lead, Ed. I'm helping giving back and offering support to those folks. So it doesn't have to be so lonely at the top. It doesn't yet. You know, I'd love to talk about that for a few moments because that's one of the reasons why oftentimes people are not brave at work because it's hard to go to a senior leader and tell them something that they need to hear. And this phrase, which we have all heard, I think, throughout our corporate careers, is that it is lonely at the top. When you're lower in the career hierarchy, it doesn't seem believable, right? It's like, how can it be lonely? They're always at meetings, whatever. But as you get closer to that level, or as you meet and get to know people, that's kind of how they say it. So I'm just curious for our listeners, 
and from your perspective and experience working with clients, why is it lonely at the top? And then we'll talk a little bit about how to be brave at work with people who might be at senior levels. So here's the thing. Why is it so lonely at the top? When you get to that level, a, a number of things happen. First of all, people expect you to know everything. <laughs> they expect you to have all the answers, right? Secondly, you, you've got to be vulnerable enough to admit that you don't have the answers, but who do you turn to, Ed? Do you, you can't go to your boss. You can't go to the board. You can't go to your peers. You can't go to your direct reports. That's inappropriate. And even your spouse or you know loved ones, they don't get what you're going through. So you really have to have someone who, who understands and can have that sense of compassion and empathy around what you're going through, but also come at it from a pragmatic standpoint to help you achieve what you want to achieve, to get to where you want to be. Well, I think all of us could tell each other that our spouses are probably tired of hearing about what's going on in the workplace <laughs> and wish you had somebody you could talk to to yeah. figure these things out. But yep. I've gotten many, I've got many a year end gift from spouses saying, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for stepping in and taking this weight <laughs> off my shoulders. Uh, Actually, usually more like, thank you for bringing me back to the person that I married. There you go. Even, because often when they get to that high levels, they, you know, they put on a different persona, right? Right. Even a better type of thank you is uh, giving me the person <laughs> back that I love. So, but this is a real interesting, I know it's a U.S. kind of construct, and perhaps you could suggest that it's global, this belief that the more senior you are, the more you know, right? That the president of a company or the CEO knows everything. And they know everything about marketing and about sales and about human resources and legal and purchasing. And they don't need any help from anyone. And yet, again, as you get to know them, you know, they would laugh and say, well, that's hardly the case. I don't know everything. So I think one of the things you talked about was vulnerability and being able to acknowledge that you don't know everything. That's not always easy for senior leaders to do. Some of them believe this construct that they're supposed to know everything and try to know everything, even though everyone is dancing. And I'm just wondering if you could reflect perhaps on some clients you've worked with, some who acted like they knew everything, even though it's impossible, and others who have been highly vulnerable that are easy to talk to about things that they could be doing differently to be more effective. I'm thinking of one particular executive, very, very high up in a professional services firm, and grew up thinking that, you know, you needed to be an expert. You got through the system because you were an expert. And so this person would stay up till two, three in the morning, didn't exercise for months on end, barely ate, just because they were constantly trying to learn more about this and learn more about that, study about this and study about this. And it, it, this person came to me completely exhausted. And I finally said, let's shift the mindset. And the mindset we're going to shift is the higher up you get, the less you are an expert. You are not an expert anymore. What got you here won't get you there. The expert is what you are when you're younger in your career. When you get older in your career, you lead the experts. You are supposed to be an expert in leadership. <laughs> so you move from being an expert in a topic to being an expert in leadership and knowing how to lead those around you who are experts. And that's why the best CEOs are the ones out there on the golf course, <laughs> because they know that their folks that they're leading, they've got it. They're, they put the right people in the right places. And it's, it's just running like a well-oiled machine because you've got to change that construct. Right. I think uh, for some, it is a change in construct. And, you know, there's this irony that happens. And, you know, I've experienced this as a subordinate to leaders to whom I reported. There's an irony that occurs where if they admit they don't know something, you actually respect them more 
because now it's like, oh, it's not just me that doesn't know everything. My boss doesn't know everything either, right? Because we think people believe the boss knows everything, right? So there's some magical step I have to get from being the type of person who doesn't know everything to the person who knows everything. And I think the way you do it, Ed, is key. The leaders who do it with complete objective curiosity, you say, you know, you know, I don't know the answer to that. How could we find that out? What would we need to do to find that out? How would we get that answer, right? That The person who can come at that with that sense of um, adventure, that sense of curiosity. And I remember a McKinsey study that came out of all the top characteristics of the best succeeding CEOs, number two was curiosity. And I think when we come at that from a place of curiosity, instead of, oh my gosh, I don't know, instead of, hey, I don't know, but I'm really curious, how would we find that out? Then everything changes. The tenor changes, the culture changes. Absolutely. That is what I had experienced. And it, it does create a different type of culture where perfection is no longer the expectation, right? You're, you should be good at what you do, but that doesn't mean you have all the answers. It's impossible, Brenda, to know everything about everything, right? So there's going to be a client situation or a marketing situation or some type of technological situation that we just haven't experienced before. We don't know the answer. So how do I help us get there without being the one who you know magically has that answer. So this, I think, is hard for many leaders to do. I think, again, many leaders have grown up in a world, and this isn't necessarily their fault, but it's just the culture where they are expected to be an expert, even when they are the CEO and president, and they are expected to know everything. And I think you and I both know, based on the clients we've worked with, that that's just not only not the case, but in some respects, impossible. Yeah. Don't be the expert on a topic. Be an expert on leadership. That's the key. Because if you can lead well, you've got ex great experts around you. You, Those are the best CEOs without a question. Those are the most successful senior leaders, the ones that really surround themselves smartly with really good people who can be the experts and they can then allow themselves to be the leader. And I often say when I look into a CEO's eyes or I say, it's not about you. It's not about you. And sometimes they don't want to hear that because, you know, you reach the pinnacle of your career and you think it's about you, but it really isn't. It's about the 10,000, 50,000, 200,000 people who are under your care and stewardship. It's what they're doing. So that is what creates value right. in, to stakeholders. Right, right. And you know, I think this is an interesting area for us to spend a couple more minutes on, Brenda, which is let's say I work for a leader who thinks it is all about him or her. And they're now the senior vice president of sales or the president of the company. And they think it's all about them. And you want to provide them some feedback that you think would be helpful in order to broaden their perspective a little bit beyond just themselves. Do you have any thoughts or tips or ideas you know, on how to approach a boss who is always thinking it's about them? It's easier to do when your boss is vulnerable, right? Because then you feel a little bit more comfortable approaching them, but not all of us work for those types of bosses. You know, any thoughts or ideas on how you can bridge that gap or talk to a boss who might not want to hear things that are difficult for them to hear? Well, two things. Number one, the higher up you get, the less feedback people get, unfortunately. That's why co coaching can just be so foundationally. It's such a career changer because when you can actually change and get people to hear the feedback from an objective outsider, it's just accepted a bit more. And they have to be coachable for that to happen. So that's really key. You've got to be really coachable for that to happen. 
But you also have to recognize that, and I know people don't like to hear this, but you're never going to change that person. But what you can do is change the way you interact with that leader. You can change the way you are around that leader. You can adapt to the situation to reflect that person's style. If you know they're not very coachable, don't try. It just doesn't work. Find a way to work within yourself because that's really going to, until they can get that external third-party feedback that's really objective, don't try to go changing someone. It just doesn't work, right? Right. right. <laughs> We've all had experiences where we tried to change someone, right? How'd that go for you? <laughs> Not good. Not good at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too. Well, so, yeah. And what we're talking about, which I think is a really good learning point for our listeners, is the uh, Gandhi phrase of be the change you want to be or be the change you want to see, right? That change really does start with yourself. If you believe somebody's behaving in a way that's inappropriate, you just can't go in and hit them across the head with a two by four and say, hey, you've got to stop it. You, you could try or it might work. But, you know, in general, how can I interact differently? What can I do a little bit differently in how I'm interacting with this boss, either the role model or to demonstrate the newer type of behavior that I think is important versus just going in and trying to change them. I think that's part of what you're saying. Yeah. It's, I call it the inside job of self-leadership. You know, you've got to, you've got to look inside yourself and say, how do I need to be different or how do I need to act differently? That's going to allow this interaction with this boss to be better. Right. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I had one client who came and she was so frustrated. She said, I'm so tired of this. My boss never gives me feedback. He never gives me kudos. He never tells me I'm doing anything right ever, ever, ever. And I turned to her and I said, how often do you tell him what he's doing right? And she looked really funny and she said, never, not at all. I said, okay, well, how about, are you open to trying that? She said, yeah, okay, let's try it. She started giving him at least five positive comments a week. That's what she decided. She was going to do five. Guess what happened? he started giving her feedback mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's as simple as being the change, like you said, that you wish to see. Yeah, you want to be the change that you wish to see. You want to demonstrate it in ways that other people feel good and then start saying, hey, this is perhaps something I should be doing in order to be braver at work or say something that needs to be said. And you also can build some momentum, whereas if there's some really critical things you want to talk about, you can start softer just to kind of get into that mode of giving feedback. And then you can start getting into the feedback that might be harder to hear. Well, one of the things that Harvard Business Review came out with a study that showed that the average person today wants five pieces of positive input and feedback to every one piece of, quote, negative, unquote, feedback, five to one. With Generation Y, that number goes to seven to one. So again, the more you can compliment, not, I mean, it's got to be authentic, but be real. Hey, I really, and don't just say, hey, good job. That's not feedback, right? It's got to be things like, hey, I really like the way that you managed that meeting last week. You know, you jumped right in with an agenda. You kept us to task. You really kept us focused, even though other people wanted to veer off. And we finished on time. So well done, you. That was a great job. That's feedback. Right. And I love that model. So for our listeners who are thinking about what we're talking about today, how do I provide critical feedback, start with positive feedback, start getting in the habit of just feedback, whether it's positive or negative. And I love the ratio of five to one or seven to one, and then start working on getting to more critical areas that can be really helpful to your boss who might be unreceptive if they're coachable to the type of feedback that you'd love to provide. And Brenda, many of our guests have shared a story that they've experienced where they have not shown bravery and the impact or 
reflections that they have today on that. And I'm wondering if you have a story and if you'd like to share it with our listeners. Sure, Ed. So it goes back quite a while now, 15 years or so, and it still to this day bothers me. So that tells you right there, it was it was a time when I wasn't brave. But I was just becoming a professional speaker, and I was invited by fellow speakers to be part of a six-speaker event. It would be for the public. You know, people would pay, they would come and listen, and we were going to do it in two different cities. The first city was in one country, the second city in a different country. So we went to the first city and we all presented. And at the end of the day, we got together. And by the way, that was a smaller group, maybe just, it was just a small group. But we all got together at the end of the day and we debriefed each other's feet. We gave each other feedback. And there was one particular, I'll say gentleman who said, wow, I was blown away by Brenda's stuff. I mean, just, I've never heard any of that before. That was amazing. It was a topic of branding, my leadership branding, which is kind of my expertise. But I was just kind of coming out with it at that time. And he's like, that was amazing. I'm, I've been in this business for years, but I've never heard that. He was very complimentary. And I said, well, that's so kind of you. Thank you very much. So two days later, we go to the new city, the new country, and uh, we changed the order of speaking around a little bit. Now, this time there's 600 people in the audience, all paying audience members. And this time we personally, me, we've hired a television crew to come in and film because I need some of this for what's called a showcase reel when you're speaking, right? And, and there was also on the radio. So it was being running live on the radio and everyone was in this country was kind of listening to the radio and all sorts of things. Very high visibility. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure at all. But especially since I'm going to be recorded, right? So this is like for my, my reel. This gentleman got in, he spoke in front of me this time, the first right, right before me and delivered my speech, delivered my speech, literally like word for word <laughs> from, from the time he stood on stage in front of 600 people. Now think about this, Ed, I'm going to have to follow him and say the same thing because I want to get it on television and I want to get it on radio. Right. And so I'm going to look like I'm copying him when in fact he was copying me. And I didn't have time to think about it. I just got up there and I had to kind of come up with slightly new ways of presenting things and whatever. It wasn't, you know, it was fine. But in the end, it was pretty, pretty frustrating, as you can well imagine. I never said a word to him. I never said a word to him. He was higher up in this profession than I was at that time. He, he was well known across the world. He was, you know, he, he ended up becoming very well known. And anyway, long story short, I didn't ever to this day, I never said a word to him. And I think to myself, why? Why didn't I say anything? And I think it was probably because at that time, I looked up to him. I thought because he was higher up in this industry than, you know, now things have changed, but he was higher up in that industry. And I wanted to learn from those types of people. And I did learn. <laughs> I learned a couple of things. Always go first. Number, I, <laughs> always go first. Number two, always be a thought leader, Ed. Always be a step ahead with new thoughts, new ways new, of thinking, new ideas. Because if you don't, someone else is just going to borrow them from you, right? And the second thing is I got a book out ASAP. I realized that if this was good enough content that someone was willing to really kind of take it from under my nose right in front of me, in front of 600 people, then it was time for me to get a book out. So I got a book out in record timing and I've written 11 books since then. So just gives you a sense. In the end, I think it was a great little kick in the, you know, whatever to get me moving on that. And I'm glad I did. But at the time, I still to this day, I've never said a word to him about that. 
Interesting, right? Uh, mm. Very interesting. When you think back today, Brenda, 15 years later, do you wish you had done something differently? Do you think you handled it correctly based on where you were and the levels that you perceived existed within the industry? Or do you wish you had said, hey, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes about something? I think I did the right thing by not saying anything, because if I had responded, then I would have responded differently than I would respond today. Hindsight is twenty twenty. time heals. I'm actually very grateful for the encounter, ironically, because it really did help me get my first book out. And it helped me to just start driving. And I wrote a book, a, a book a year for 10 straight years. <laughs> so I really do think that was a nice little guide for me. Uh, to this day, I'll probably run into him sometime somewhere and I'll, I might say something, but you know, it's kind of water under the bridge too, but it was more of a lesson for me than for him. I suspect my lesson again, be a thought leader, get your material out there in the form of books or YouTube videos, whatever it is, so that you have some form of ownership of it. And then just keep inventing and reimagining and coming up with new information. Right. And I think the lesson for our listeners is that if there was a time in the past when you were not brave at work upon reflection, you know, what did I get from it? Right. Did I actually benefit in some ways that I might not have benefited if I had said something? And I'm not suggesting that will always be the case. But, you know, certainly in your case, it proved to be that way. And your most recent book is The Forgotten Choice, Shift Your Inner Mindset shape your outer world. And that sounds very aligned to this concept to be the change you want to be, right? Think yourself first about what you want to do differently before attempting to influence others. Brenda, thank you so much for being a guest on Be Brave at Work today. And if our listeners would love to find out more about you and the books you've written, where can they go? The best places to come to my website at brendabents.com. And all that information there. I'm also on social media, a good LinkedIn following, YouTube channel, always posting new information there. So yeah, I would love to connect. Terrific. Well, I have loved speaking with you today and the depth of your work is certainly significant. So thank you for sharing your thoughts about bravery at work. Thank you, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.